Let's dive into this part of our final series. Our topic tonight is this one. What did we learn along the way? What did we learn by being an interactive forum? We said that the reason we're even doing a final series is three main points. The first one is this one, that God really worked through this group and did a lot of awesome things, and we needed to kind of state what they are. We said almost like the Old Testament concept of building an altar to what God has done so that people would remember what it was. And to do that, we actually answered these questions that week. We talked about, you know, how did Exodus start? You know, where'd the idea of developing an interactive forum come from? Like, where did the idea, that crazy idea of recording the talks come from? Why even podcast them in the first place? And we looked at all the series that we covered, nearly 40 series in the nine years that we did this. And that was a talk to kind of remind us all of where we've been so that when we say, yes, this is something that God did, we knew what we were talking about. In the second week, we went to the second reason we're doing this series, and that was something we're going to continue tonight. I said there that really we kind of went off the beaten path, if you will. We left the road most traveled and kind of forged our own path. And because of that, we needed to leave some markers behind uh, in case anybody else was crazy enough to do this. And I think that discussion, and just kind of thinking through it, that we had a couple weeks ago is going to be my favorite. Because we got a chance to answer some of these questions like, what if you wanted to start your own group like this? How would you do it? What did it take, like time-wise and resource-wise, to do it? What did a typical week look like? Who was involved behind the scenes? And what specifically was taking place to pull this off week after week? And I think that was a little bit of an eye-opening peek behind the curtain. Uh, but it was also very honoring uh, to God to be able to state that those things were done. Because I think they had only been done by God's power. I don't know how we did that for so many years. We also answered these questions, like how do we select the topics in the series? How do we select the books that we used for those things? And what is interactive teaching? I mean, you've experienced it, but we actually broke it down in case somebody wanted to try to do it, explaining what it is and what it is not, how to do it and how not to do it, so that people could kind of get through that. So that really brings us to the next part of answering that same thing. Let's leave some markers behind. Imagine that some crazy group comes across this trail, which is the Exodus Trail, the the off-the-beaten-path kind of trail. And before they decide to go down the road or not, they want to know, like, what's down there? (laughs) What would it look like to be down there? And we did part of that last week. I'm going to ask Stephanie to pass out some cards and pens. And here's what I'd like you to do. Take a couple cards. There's going to be two things that you can jot down during this talk if you want to. The first one is, if you could leave a box of notes on that path for people to tell them what you learned or what to expect, What would you leave behind to warn somebody, uh, to maybe tell somebody what lies ahead, to maybe tell them, like, this is what I learned or something, or this is something to expect? What would you leave behind? And the other thing is, of course, we're still collecting questions because next week there's going to be a lot of question and answer just about stuff we did. I've gotten some pretty cool questions from you. So if you have just a question that we haven't covered yet, uh, write it down. And again, if somebody was going to discover these notes along the path before they started, are there things we just want to say that we learned so that people could kind of say, all right, so this is what I might expect if I went down this path. Last week was more like, how would you mechanically do it? This is more like, what are the things that we learned? I've got some broken down in different categories. You can interact in a number of ways. You can raise your hand and ask for more explanation. You can even challenge the thing that I believe that I might have learned out of it. You can do that. You can say, no, I don't believe you learned that. I mean, this is still interactive. The Holy Spirit doesn't stop working uh, just because I'm summarizing 
uh, all of the stuff that we've done. I want you to still be thinking and attentive to what the Spirit's doing. You may have a different view that will really set the conversation right. Here's some things I learned about doing an interactive forum. You know, an interactive forum is not for everyone. But for those who needed it, it was like water in the desert. I've heard that as we've talked about winding down. The reason I say it's not for everybody is because I've sat here when I've watched someone's face while we were doing this, and, and they, they look like, they're, what's the fastest I could get out of this room, you know? Uh, they've stumbled in here thinking it was something else, and as soon as somebody behind them raised their hand and goes, I don't even know who wrote that book of the Bible. They're like, you know, they were just in just complete shock, right? And that was one reason their face turned white and their mouth opened. The other one was like we went past 20 minutes, you know, and their mouth just like they couldn't do it. Uh, there was something going on. So I know it wasn't for everybody. I mean, you could see it. People would like say, hey, thanks. And you knew you're never going to see them again, right? Yeah. So when you say that, do you mean it's not for everyone at given stages of where they are? Or that really some people don't need this interaction? Yes, there are some people who don't need it. Their faith is secure. Their faith is where they want it to be. Or they need something different in their life, right? They need a different kind of experience. And I used to think, that the answer to that question would normally be, this is good for everybody, it's just not everybody knows it. But I'm more humble now. I look at it and think, there are people who are fine not having this. I am going to explain why I think it's still better. I mean, I actually believe the best way to say it is, there are times when people don't know how much they're going to need it. right? And I could say it's not for everybody, because at one point we started to estimate the number of people who came and stayed versus the number of people who came and ran. And, and if I were to be totally honest, I'd say that maybe one out of every eight or nine people would come and say, yes, this is what I've been looking for. And other people were like, no, 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 I was looking for something, and fill in the blank. Second, learning deeply about God works all the muscles. Didn't we just sing that? We were just singing in that song about loving God with our mind, our soul, right, and also our heart. I say here that learning about God involves all the muscles, our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. I would add to that that people don't like to work out, though. The analogy I make there is I've often thought that what we do here is so beneficial to the life of the believer because we are working out all of the muscles at the same time, and we're doing it at a deep level and an intense level. And yes, sometimes it felt like work, and sometimes looking at your faces, I knew that it was painful to go into that level of detail or to wrestle with a concept that strongly or to go over it and over it again until we felt like we were getting somewhere that does feel like working out. I think most of us know that working out is good for us, but many of us just don't like to do it. Most of us would just rather have fun. And the problem with that is we know that that second lifestyle leads to problems at some point. And you've never really fully engaged and worked out the muscles you needed to. We say, we could all say, oh yeah, learning about God is about working out your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. And yet, I would say fairly, there are many groups that don't work out those muscles. So I know that one of the reasons I say it's not for everybody is because this was hard to do. I also think it's good for us because of what comes later. Because that moment comes when you need all the preparation and all of knowing what you know. To be mature in Christ is, involves also all of those things, not just a few. Yeah. That's why I asked the question that way. Was What is your assessment of, are these people that are just don't need it? Or are these more the reality is the people that are just not taking something that they need because they don't want to or because it's uncomfortable? Because I'm sure, I'm sure there's like a few, like you just said, that are in that state, that get it from a different way or that are already in a position they don't need it. I can evaluate it in two ways. 
One way is all the research that I'm reading says this would be a better way, but nobody's doing it. Uh, the other thing is I've sat with a lot of people who, when they were going through the crisis, when the storm came, they were wrestling with the very things that they would have wrestled with. Now they're wrestling through it in the midst of the storm, which is always the worst time because no one can get to you. It's too late. And it's cruel to be trying to sort out somebody's thinking about God in the midst of the storm. I mean, that's, that's the time when they need comfort and love, and like there'll be time for that later. That's why I think if I were to take a stance, I would say, yes, it's better for you. Um, I was going to say that I think it's more a question of like shallow versus deep and not maybe necessarily the method. So uh, I think this is, in my opinion, like the best method because of the struggling and hearing difference of, differences of opinions, which I think is very beneficial. But I think every Christian, to kind of touch upon what you're trying to get at, every Christian should go deeper, right? Like we need roots. That's important. Um, so everybody needs that. Everyone through something, whether it's reading on your own, like studying, buying like books that talk about a subject, and then reading the Bible and comparing and having a mentor, whatever. Everybody needs that. Obviously, like you have to go deeper. Now, the way that it's delivered could kind of vary. Okay. All right. Here's some more. Here's some uh, things we learned along the way about opening up the floor to comments for people who might take that path. Within reason, differences of opinion, views, and experiences enrich us. God speaks to us in our deliberation, and my fear is the loss of it uh, in my own life when we don't have this going on. Uh, I think most of us would say, of course, differences of opinion, views, and experience enrich us. But I also saw people's faces, like I said, that the minute somebody disagreed with something that was being said, it was like there was electricity in the seat, and they were being electrified right there. Something was happening. Uh, and they were just so not used to it. Something was going on. Uh, you're not allowed to even hint that you might not agree with what's being said. You're just supposed to nod and then write in your journal. What are you doing? You know. And I think it enriches us. People should know that. And the, the reason is because the Holy Spirit speaks through deliberation. And I'm searching for the ways that deliberation continues if you don't have people with the permission to speak. Yes. Uh. With that one, which I think is so key, like, there's a couple different things. So the first thing, one thing I didn't expect through the del- deliberation and kind of starting to learn how to get to know people and understand them and on a personal level and that they're good and really love the Lord but view things differently and that can have different opinions and, like, really being open-minded, even if I didn't necessarily change my view, um, which sometimes I did change, but if I didn't, understanding those points of views and where they're coming from and that there are good reasons for some different views helps me love other people more and like more deeply and that was like huge for my own spirituality just for the community which I think is really important it like puts a face to that right but then secondly the people that were freaking out that were like electrocuted I don't think it's necessarily just that they're not used to like oh my gosh people are speaking back but I think as a warning or whatever, this type of environment can shake someone's faith. So if they're not super solid or not really used to, like, I don't know, different things, it might be like, it could be some aspect of faith that is being questioned that just really shakes them. And if, and if they went too far and changed their views, somehow they're afraid that that would affect their spirituality or like their belief in God. I don't know, I've been one of those electric people. I mean, you have too. And uh, 
sometimes I don't feel like it's always been, I'm questioning that in my life, it's that I believe so strongly in it, that I feel like, hey, well, no, 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 hold, hold the phone, you know, I don't want to argue this out. Like. And let me be clear, the people that I'm talking about are the people who just were freaked out, not by a comment, but just by interaction in general. Here's another one. In the church, I've noticed that we often prefer packaged presentations. Anything that detracts us from a polished look is something we don't want to be around. And we may be tuning out the Holy Spirit's voice. I mean, again, I've told you my bias is in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit speaks so often through deliberation, and yet our churches have almost no mechanism for deliberation in the large body. We have small groups, you know, we have small classes, but we rarely have an opportunity to do that. And I think that's a danger that we have to be careful of. Remember, Paul was warning people about speaking up too much in church and standing up and prophesying too much in the service. Like right now, we have like silent services where one person speaks, where one thing is going on because we are afraid of awkwardness. We're afraid of messiness. And I saw that in here. There were times when the discussion just couldn't be absolutely controlled. I mean, as good as a facilitator as I like to be, there were times the conversation just started to break down. And you could see people like, oh, no. Like, this isn't packaged, this isn't neat, like something's going to go wrong, right? That's a risk you take when you open it up. And it's a known risk, and we have to let it happen. Or, the other risk is we err on the side of stifling or silencing the voice of the Spirit that might be coming out through deliberation. I'm not saying we're going to stop the Spirit's work. Just saying that we're tuning out a channel where we might otherwise hear the Spirit in the deliberation. Here's one I would give to anybody who is going to try this. You have no clue how your message is being received until you allow others to interrupt you, challenge you, or wrestle with what you're saying. You know, when you speak to a crowd who doesn't get to talk back, and I get to do that, the only gauge you have for how well you're doing is a couple people nodding their head, uh, your own feeling about how you did in delivering it. You know, it's mostly about how you felt delivering it. You know, woo, that came out good. Yeah. And like two people come up afterwards and go, thank you, pastor, that was so nice. You're like, eh, that just spoke right to me today, you know? I fear that so often when we speak, it happens that way. And I'll just say that I don't know if that's good, bad. I'm not commenting on that. I'm commenting on this. You really have no idea until you allow the entire room the ability to say, I don't buy it. Here's another verse. What about this? Did you forget that? I don't understand. That doesn't make sense. Uh, please explain that more deeply. That is when you really find out how people are behaving. Uh, in this room, and I gave you permission facially, too. I could see it in your faces. I told you. We hit the rough patches, and we started vibrating as a room when we were going over the, the gravel part of the discussion, right? You can feel it, right? So it wasn't always just in your comments, but it gave us permission to just shake our heads and go, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Or to have that sour look. I've seen people in this room hunched down, actually, you know, like almost disappear behind somebody. They were so upset with the discussion. Um, you know, when we give permission to people to do that, then there's no hiding. Yeah. Have you ever walked in here with a certain viewpoint and it completely changed by the time you walked out here? Or have you walked in here with knowing what you wanted to talk about, but maybe not fleshing it out? To a degree of you didn't know if you'd be able to answer the questions that would come at you or whatever, and you just kind of go from there. I've walked in here knowing exactly where we were supposed to go and finding out that that's not where we were supposed to go. I really at times felt that was God saying, no, that's not exactly it, or that's not where they are. 
They're somewhere else. Like you think if you go down this path, it's going to make sense, but they're over here. And you need to go there. Sometimes we've had to add a week to the series to go that way and come back. Uh, that's what I talked about when I said I have to sometimes I'd go home and buy another book because I realized there was a question that I thought was just settled uh, that, you know, wasn't settled. And then we had to get past it. So there have been times when I thought I knew exactly what it was. There's plenty of times when I knew exactly what I was going to say. I prepared all the things. And when I got in here, somebody's question reminded me of something else I studied. And I realized at that moment, while I was standing here, how important that was, I had disregarded it. Thought, okay, that's interesting. I don't really need to know that until the question came. And I thought, oh, that's exactly what God wanted us to know. I'm so glad I read that because the question came and it snapped the discussion into a slightly different direction. But later in reflecting on it, it was like, that was the direction. I think that's why our teaching has been so solid. It's because I'm not the only one doing it. Everybody in this room was able to go, wait a minute, hold on. And you got amazing things said because you could read 10, 15, 20 hours of material, but I'm only going to present one of those hours. And the question is, which one? Right? And when we came in here, I thought I knew. And sometimes you corrected me and said, no, it's this. And then all of a sudden you go later on, thank God, that we had a broad breadth of information so that we could adjust on the fly because God was saying, go a different direction. I do believe that's the benefit of deliberation of the Spirit because we're all reacting together. If, if we had not allowed that, I would have just delivered what I thought was important. Some of you would have nodded. A couple of you said, hey, that's exactly where I was this week. And I would have no idea where you really were. Philip. I was just thinking about how your message is being received from the person standing up there, but I think it's easy for me and probably most people here to like have our own thoughts, and then we share them, but not necessarily all just knowing, if I'm just thinking them, how other people are receiving those messages. When you actually start speaking them um, in a group, it affects people. And it's just like, I was thinking more of even the emotional aspect of it, because I think it's very easy like that we're thinking a lot of thoughts, but we are disagreeing. And we like that has to have consequences of like you saying like you have no clue how your message is being received because even a lot of people like well they don't think that at all and even Jolene brought up like hey someone might say something that just shakes someone else totally the corner like, oh I don't like that and like when he was bringing it as well like I think it's just that's interesting that we have to realize even the people in the audience like their comments like our comments like affect people not just in a like intellectual because I think that is powerful. And our comments did work off of each other because you would see in most of our series over time, as comments were rubbing against each other, towards the end we were coming to a consensus that I believe we were corralling that. God who was really empowering us. And there was so much openness in this group. If we could reach a consensus on most points, we're probably arriving at the right answer, having this many people with the ability to give their own perspectives, views, and experience. Uh, an example just came up that I thought of when it talked about, like, I think I know what I'm going to do. We had done a series on biblical justice. My view was going to come in to say, okay, now we're all created in the image of God, right? And in any church in America, everybody like, uh-huh, right? We're all created in the image of God, uh-huh. And therefore, we have to treat each other a certain way. So I thought that first step, like, if you're doing a geometric proof, image of God, given, <laughs> right? Like, you don't even have to, you don't have to talk about that, right? That's a given. This group just did not buy it. Not just that we weren't created in the image of God, but what does that mean? And you know what? It is not the most settled question in Christianity. It is not the way you could just say, we're all created in the image of God and have value given. 
No, it wasn't that way at all. And this room rustled and pushed, and I thought, what's going on? Like, how can we not get passed over? We're all created in the image of God. Like, this, this was like, this, yeah, this was the beginning, you know? And somebody's like, what verse is that from? And where are you getting that from? And the next thing I knew, like, I, I went home. I was like, I'm a failure again, you know? I, so many Sunday nights where I felt like I was like such a failure. And I did what I normally do. I went to Amazon. I bought a book. On, on the image of God and what it means. And I started reading and researching and looking on the internet, and I realized the issue was so much more in-depth than just the way it was being presented in this one way that we were and this book was relying on. I would like to say sometimes that there was a part of me that thought, do we really have to waste a whole Sunday arguing over this? And then later when I edited the series and I realized that we might be one of those few groups that actually didn't just buy it and actually wrestled with it, and then everybody, by the time we were done, said, okay, okay, we agree with that, let's move on. But I thought, you know, that's really good. Because how many people probably heard that and just go, yep, yep, and most people didn't buy it. It's just this was the only group that allowed people to open their mouth and actually say, I don't buy it, explain it to me. I don't think it's a given. Nobody's ever given me an answer. I've just heard sermon after sermon that just assumes it. Morgan. Do you think the form can also produce bad aspects of character too? Because it can be just a way to, I'm going to bend my opinions <clears throat> This, this is my place to speak my voice, and I have my microphone. Like, I mean, I think there can be a downside. And, I mean, I think it's why lots of children. And you've talked about sermons can't do it because people just want to say whatever they want to say. And you say that within <coughs> differences of opinion, you know, using experience and riches. But I think the downside, it can be a place where you just say whatever they want. They're not really open to hearing from other people. They just want a voice. That's a very interesting point. So the reason I put within reason is exactly what you picked up, which is, I think within reason, difference of opinion are there. If you're outside the boundaries of orthodoxy, that's not helpful. If you're here because you have a chip on your shoulder, that's not helpful. In this room, it's hard to control sometimes, right? Because you don't know. And I'm not talking about a person. I'm just talking about your day that day. You may be going through a tough time about something, and it, that subject touched you in a way where you just go off. Or it's clear that in your past you have an issue, <laughs> that we're not even talking about, but you can't see that we're not talking about it, and all you're doing is talking about something that's not in the room. Or no one's arguing with you. Who are you arguing with? You know, there's that, that would happen in here, right? It would happen where somebody's like, nobody's making that argument. Like, where are you getting that from? And yes, that's a downside. However, I want to be clear about this. That's the reason it isn't done, not just in churches. That's the reason that groups don't do it. Whether they're 30 or 300, they won't do it because... We prefer that prepackaged look. We don't want awkwardness. We don't want to scare people away. And the risk is, yes, it's a risk to open it up. But the two counterbalancing points are, I feel like we could silence the spirit. That's one. And two, it means that everybody just goes home and nobody's changed. I'd rather know that that person is way out there and freaking out in their life. Or I'd rather know that their past is hurting them. I'd rather know that they just don't buy the belief. I'd rather know that they have a problem believing that then just have them stay silent in this place because there's a 100,000 places you could go where you can just hang out. We needed a place where if you could find that out, it would be good. Yes? Yeah, I would agree. And I would say that one of the most important things that I've probably learned about this forum is that I think doing it this way keeps us from being a people of schism because we learn to deliberate together without alienating from one another. And I remember when I was a freshman and I came here, how weird I thought it was that people would come here and argue and then go out to dinner afterwards and <laughs> no one was mad. No one stayed angry. No one like 
maybe there were differences, but you know, more or less, people learn how to have differences of opinion without walking away from each other. I think that's really important within the church to be able to air those things, to have the freedom to disagree, and then still say, but we still all love the Lord and are working this out, so it's okay, we don't have to break over this. There doesn't have to be a loss of relationship over a difference of opinion. Okay, last comment? I think, um, from what Morgan said, Having, I mean, access has been going on for what, 10 years, but I feel like we've, because it's been going on for so long, like, like there's been a way for us to, to not allow it to, to manifest, I guess, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard you come and talk to people, you know, one-on-one, or even, even in the group setting, be able to, to silence it or to redirect it or whatever, so I don't feel like that is something that we should go, well, well, that sucks, throw the towel, you know, like, this forum thing isn't going to work. Like. But in fairness to Morgan's comment, I do want to be honest. What Morgan is talking about has happened. Sometimes it's bothered people in the room, or things have been said that are deeply hurtful, or even, I would say, tinged on blasphemy. In this room, you can't do anything about it, right? If you're going to allow it, it's the risk you take. But I will say, in honesty, when we've edited our podcast, there are times when I've gone back and listened to what was said, and it was so venomous. Uh, it shook me to a point where I was like, we're not leaving that in, no matter how honest it is and how real it is. Uh, I feel like it shakes its fist at God in such a degree and with such venom that I cannot in good conscience leave this in. That was that person's issue at that moment on that day, and we were there. And Just even admitting that we would do that at times means that Morgan's point is well taken, that if you went back and listened to 300 unedited podcasts, there would be times when you would hear something and think, oh, yeah, oh. <laughs> wow, man, that person is either hurting or really angry at that moment. And it's probably both. Here's a few more. Some things we learned about the need for community. Without community that cares about you and loves you and knows you, which is what we've been talking about, this will turn into the Christian equivalent of the Jerry Springer show. I don't want to put on something where I'm just running around the room trying to find the craziest thing that somebody said. Uh, I also like the comment about the fact that so often we would even disagree, we would even poke fun at something, and then we would go out and have dinner together. And that maybe people who hear this won't know that, that that was often our pattern. That even when you heard somebody saying, I don't agree with that, or I don't think that's right, or that's crazy, then everybody would go out and just hang out and talk about it. And that's because there needed to be a community. So if I was going to leave a lesson behind, a little note card on the, on the path, you can't do this just by itself. You need community to be able to do it in because we need to trust one another and love one another. And it's one of the reasons that I wouldn't just be able to do it just on a one-off basis. Here's another one. People are often there for reasons you can only guess. Most often you guess wrong why are people here. <laughs> I mean, I just learned this along the way. There were so many times when I thought, oh, wow, they really must be interested in this series. And they're interested in the girl that's sitting in the second row or something, you know. <laughs> like, there's so many reasons people come, and you really just don't know what the reasons are. Uh, it Maybe they're going through something in their life. Maybe they're looking for something. I always guessed wrong. I was always the last to know, and I found out I was even more bummed. I was like, oh, I thought you liked what I was doing. I was like, oh. That's something else about, I think, that's interesting about communities. We don't always know the reasons, but we should embrace people while they're here. The other thing I learned, communities often invoked. We declare community. Oh, there's community. It's rarely experienced. Such an abused word. 
so overused and so overextended, it almost has no meaning anymore. We've worn this rubber band out. It's about to snap. Hospitality is even more rare. So many of our relationships are proximity-based and programmatic. You know the great test will be when this is all finished? What remains of the community? Like when there isn't a Sunday for us to see each other, when there isn't a Wednesday for us to meet together, what remains? Uh, so often we are so based on proximity or programmatically. Like if I don't have a reason to work with you at this job, I won't see you again. If I don't have a reason to meet with you on Wednesday night so we can do this thing together, I won't see you again. That's just a reality I've learned. The reason I've learned that is because I saw people come and go and do different things all these years, and we started to prepare for that. Um, it's something that we've learned. Comments on the community? You want to add something from our community? Yeah. I think it's, I'm glad that you brought it up because it's been something that I've wrestled with in terms of wanting more and more and more of it. Um, yeah, it's probably overused, but I really think that it's great that you bring it up because I don't, I think that church just today, like you say, a small group isn't going to cut it because you can't have just a bunch of small groups. And I think the model that you see after Paul is like a community where like people say crazy things and he's there to correct them and help them come back. And it's a very deep, deep rooted relationship. I don't know if that necessarily means that you have to see those people every day or you have to be, you know, having dinner with them all the time, but there's definitely a trust and a love for the other people. Um, you know, that sort of comes from that second greatest commandment, you know, that Jesus said is to love others. So I, I don't think it's something you should back down from or say that it's just, you know, it's a trivial thing that we overuse. I, I think that's a correct statement that that happens, but I definitely think there needs to be a focus on that it is something that is important and here's how to do it effectively. Okay. This last Wednesday, Morgan walked through this very interesting exercise where we were talking about what were the reasons you believe that you might make it to 40 as a Christian, uh, and what are the reasons that might knock you out? It was based on a series we had done a long time ago called How to Ruin Your Life by 40. And uh-huh. it was actually one of the things that I was looking at in what did we learn along the way about making it to 30 or 40. I had picked 30 when we started Exodus because that's where everybody was in their early 20s. And the whole idea, as you knew, was the statistics that I had been looking at about how few it is that make it all the way to 30 in the church, it was something like only 25% of people made it all the way through their 20s. Uh, so whether you're thinking about making it to 30 or 40, I'll move through these rather quickly, but I just want you to know some of the things that I observed since that was one of the great motivating things that got me involved in doing Exodus in the first place. One of them is that getting your doctrine or your theology right sounds very unspiritual. And it's popular to suggest there's better spiritual uses of your time. But bad theology is responsible for so many Christians losing their faith. You know, in those 10 years that I started noticing when I knew people who were 20, and then watching as they moved all the way 10 years later to 30, and watched the people who got knocked out along the way, uh, it was rarely just a heart issue. (laughs) Most often it was really because they were not deeply rooted in doctrine. They didn't understand their faith. They were having trouble with God that was like a misunderstood trouble half the time. I won't say that's every case. I'm not trying to make a blanket statement. I'm just saying way more often than not, if they had gotten some of this right, their heart would have kept pumping. Second, speaking only to the heart results in momentary inspiration. I would even say fleeting inspiration. I've been in rooms where the person has moved people and they're just all almost crying, and 20 minutes later it's gone. The feeling just dissipates. 
We live in an entertainment-saturated world. There is nobody who can out-entertain some of the movies we have in Hollywood and the emotions they can convict. What makes us think that if I just speak to you and inspire you enough with my words and my speaking right to you and emotions, that that's going to somehow last? Actually, the Scriptures tell us that it's the renewing of the mind that causes lifelong transformation, where you change, not just are momentarily lifted out of your seat. I believe that the reason that strong doctrine is so important and why it's told us repeatedly in Scripture is because I believe Jesus is right when he says, in this life you will have trouble. Trouble will come, and that's the time when most of what you believe is tested to find out if you really believe it. If you have a very shallow belief, it often gets overwhelmed. I also want to add this one at the bottom. Spiritual warfare is real. What do I mean by that? Because, I mean, we could all go, hey, man. You know, but, like, what do I mean by that, you know? We're talking about making it to 30 or 40. I've actually watched people get knocked out by spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? A lot of us think it's like, oh, you know, the red light's on the way to work and I was late to work. That's the devil trying to mess me up. (laughs) Paul tells us what spiritual warfare, he says, it's the arguments that war against our mind for the knowledge of God. I have seen in a group where we hear the arguments, where we have the tough conversation, I have seen the arguments that are set up where I realize... That argument is dangerous. You have to be very careful of that argument. That's the best instance that Paul gives us spiritual warfare. I'm not saying that if all the lights turn red on the way to work, that's not the devil messing with you. I don't know. But I do know that when Paul does say what spiritual warfare is, the only time he really explains it fully is saying that it's arguments set up against the knowledge of God. And I have struggled with so many people who have so many reasons to have arguments against the knowledge of God. And I've seen it. And I've seen it. Sometimes it dissipates. Sometimes you praise God. You work with that person. You pray for that person. It dissipates. And other times, it doesn't. That's a hard lesson to have learned along the way to say that, yes, yes, in those years, I have seen people who those arguments have taken them away. Here's another difficult thing to say. What people are going through often overwhelms anything they're learning or could learn about God. I mean, people sitting in this room, well, we're talking about one of the most amazing truths about God, but I know they're not there, and I wouldn't be there either if I were where they were. Uh, because something was going on in their life that was way more important. In fact, last year at our retreat, we talked about this very subject, where we read from people's prayers about the things that they were going through in life, and we were asking the question, how do we enter their lives where they're at right now? Because they really don't care about whatever subject we're talking about, whether hell is eternal or it's cold or it's whatever. What they're caring about is their son or daughter just died. Or they were just diagnosed with an illness. So sometimes, I mean, I I don't know that this is something we should debate. I'm just saying that I have noticed that where we are sometimes and the things we're going through overwhelm any amount of trying to talk about a subject that I've been aware of that. It's a marker we should leave behind to let people know that, hey, uh, because you've had permission to talk back and say things, we've been able to identify that, yeah, sometimes people just cannot access even the greatest truth that you want to talk about because of where they're at. We should spend more time in compassion with one another. Something I probably wish we had been able to do more of is focus on compassion with one another because those things that you're going through make it so that you really can't even benefit from what we're talking about. And I, like I said, if I were in that circumstance... I wouldn't be tuned in either. Here's something very important I want to highlight. In all the years that I've done this, faith in Jesus Christ can not only be defended, it can be confidently trusted. 
In the nine years that we did this, we, and I'll even say it more plainly, I did not find an issue that precluded faith. And I really feel like I explored every place I could. I asked every question I could. I read way more than we really needed to, looking for something that would just stop us dead in our tracks. I did not find it. We did, though, explore many difficult questions and issues because when I first started Exodus, I used to think, if as a lawyer I could put 12 people in a jury box, could I convince them of the truth of Christianity? And could I do it over and over and over and over again? Could we keep doing that over and over and over again? I don't know, that was maybe a young lawyer in me trying to think of a way to exercise that kind of part of my mind. I don't know that that's what we were trying to do. But I will tell you that the whole time that I was studying, I kept thinking that same thought, like, is there something that if this came up, it would just say, that's it, you can't go forward, trial's over, there's no God. Jesus is not someone to put your faith into. And I will tell you that I kept my eyes open this whole time looking for that. I didn't find it. But I did find many people who were troubled by things we went through. And I did find times when people said, that troubles me enough that I'm out. And I'll tell you from my perspective, it wasn't enough, but... That's just my perspective. Here's a lighter one. It's hard to impart wisdom without the underlying experience. As you've often heard me say, it's hard being a man from the future. Nobody believes you. What I mean by that is there have been times when I've learned that there are things that we all must experience. That I could say to you, oh, that's not going to work, or that argument doesn't work, or you should just trust me on this thing. And I found the hard way, especially when you let people voice themselves openly. No, you've got to let people experience it and be there to guide them and help them. But there's no way you're just going to be able to do it and just let everybody just believe you. Last one on this topic. Some people are just not going to make it. That was the hardest thing for me to learn because the whole basis of trying to go deeper and let people wrestle and struggle was to strengthen our faith so that we all could get through. Along the way, I've recognized things. Uh, You'll hear me say it a little bit later. I'm not the Savior, but it was difficult to realize that no matter what we do, no matter what we say, along the way, one of the most difficult things is that some people were just never going to walk out. That was not only personally hard, but it was something that was hard to learn. Last slide. Here's some pitfalls to look out for. First, deconstruction is cheap and easy. But deconstruction without reconstruction is cruel and dishonors God. It is easy to take apart somebody's belief, to shake the foundation under somebody's faith, especially if they've never thought through it for themselves. So for the vast majority of people, it's very easy because they've just sat through sermons or heard things or read a book and never actually had it challenged by other people in the room that way. But I think the real trick is to be able to put it back together. You've heard me say the analogy is that almost anybody can take apart an engine. I mean, you might do damage to it, but almost anybody can take apart an engine if you give them long enough. But deconstruction doesn't count in my book. If we can just say, I can ask tough questions, I can shake somebody, I can really get them to think. And sometimes we think that's something we're able to do because we've thought through something. I think reconstruction really is the key, and that's what honors God. Morgan. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, like far beyond interactive forum, I mean, just in life, every one of us is going to interact with people, and especially with those we disagree with, or people who rub us the wrong way, or, you know, those are the, the, those are the people that are the most tempting to just, like, poke at, 
and just deconstruct them because you can. Um, I think it's really destructive in other people's lives. So I think that's one hopefully we can hear <laughs> just in life. When somebody's saying things that maybe you don't agree with, you know, really ask, like, is this really something I need to help move them through? And if so, am I willing to walk through with actually rebuilding? Or am I just angry? Or this type of person, sometimes this type of Christian, really bothers me, so I'm just going to throw venom at them and deconstruct them and piss them off, you know, that sort of thing. I've seen that done all across this campus. Right? There are a lot of professors, especially with undergrads, who've never thought through their faith or coming in fresh with some sort of you know, doe-eyed faith that think my job is to shake them and show them how shallow it is or how un- unexamined their faith is. And you know what? If you have a class of 18 and 19-year-olds, anybody could do that. One of you could get up and start asking questions that they can't answer and shake everybody's faith and show them that your faith is immature and it's all the stuff of youth ministry and it's not real. That's cruel. It's not even honoring to God. You've done nothing but destroy the engine. The trick is to actually do that and then build them back up. And if you're not there for the long haul to do both, don't do the first. If you're not going to reconstruct, don't deconstruct. In fact, deconstruction can help people to say, let's take that apart a little bit and think about it. But if you're not there to do the second part, all you've done is left the engine in parts in the driveway. You haven't helped anybody. And that kind of brings the second point, which is, Going deeper requires a relationship or a community. I really believe that. I wrote, drive-by shootings are hugely damaging to people's faith. What I mean by drive-by shootings is those times when you're in a conversation with somebody and you start to just kind of go deeper with them, but you have no relationship with them, you have no time to have the conversation with them. And I'll tell you the reason I learned this is because I, for a while, thought because we were doing so much interesting work in Exodus that anybody I met who asked one of those questions, I could do the same thing with them. And it did a lot of damage. How long did it take us to go through the God's Will series? Like eight, nine weeks? You know, and even then people are struggling and trying to understand it. There was a guy I told you about the other day that you know, just asked me about God's will, and I started to kind of you know, tell him, well, it's not like this, and it's like this, and it's not like that. And like 10 seconds later, I realized like, he was like a ball of yarn. I just kept pulling and pulling and pulling, and like pretty soon he was just completely unwound. And he was so distraught, he didn't know what he was doing. And what, what was I doing? I was actually trying to do a mini exodus in half an hour. <laughs> when really we had had a relationship together. We knew each other. We traveled together. We had many, many weeks to dialogue and discuss and understand and go deeper and, and, and see where things weren't working and try to address them and know people's personalities and, oh, when you ask that question, I know where you're coming from, but if you ask that question, it'd be a little bit different. I need to hear you and understand you, not just walk around just like psh, 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 and dispensing kind of deconstructive wisdom, no matter how interesting it was what we learned here. There's something for all of us. It's much easier to take shots at somebody else's belief or their action than to take a faith posture of your own and live out your faith publicly in front of others. I saw that in this room a lot. We were really good at making fun of other views. We were not so good at actually declaring what we really believe. I think part of the reason for that is because when you know somebody could raise their hand and say something at any moment, you're wondering, like, if I did this, what would somebody say? That may be one of the things that I would say we should have worked better at because it's easy to become cynical and to replace a critical mind that we all wanted with just a spirit of criticism. We could criticize anything and everything. We got pretty good at it sometimes. Yeah. I think one of the most important things that I learned along the way um, is that we we can't play the whole those other Christians game because that's so damaging 
to say the church and speak about it deprecatingly without um, without acknowledging that we take a part in that and we shouldn't try to distance ourselves from the church we should come through it and try and reform the problem from taking is taking a stance of yes I am a Christian and you're my brother or you're my sister even though I'm really upset with what's going on like we can't alienate ourselves from the rest of the church because that's that's only then we're just feeding in to the negative stereotypes about Christians by agreeing with them and not trying to change the face of what Christianity may look like okay so if you have a question left write it down because next week we're wrapping up by answering the rest of your questions, also known as Monique gets to interview me with no questions being off limits. As the longest standing member of Exodus now, going on in what, 11 years? Uh, longer than there's been the interactive forum part, Monique gets to come back next week. And that also includes you because it'll be open to anybody who wants to ask something. But I have a feeling uh, it'll get into some other things we haven't talked about. I've kind of kept it out here so far, you know, like it's all out here. It'll probably make it a little bit more personal. And then we wrap up with anything left to say. We have some closing, concluding thoughts about the whole experience. So let's, uh, let's pray and finish off in worship. Lord, I'm thankful that I can confidently say that so much of what we learned is from your Holy Spirit. Because so much of what I learned and what people experienced in this room came from people who were brave enough to wrestle, to state their objection, to state their struggle to pose different views, even to correct what was being said. And in so many ways, Lord, we learned directly from you. Lord, rather than contain it in this room, I pray that across the church, people would rediscover the beauty of the liberation. They would not fear it, that even with all its risks and its messiness, Lord, that you would still spread this so that we would always have one more way of hearing from your Spirit and directing and guiding us. Thank you, Lord, that we have been privileged enough to be part of it here. Pray this in your name. Amen.